Oh, Miss Bruce, and she's got a ball. Okay. All right, buddies, go this way. All right, good friends, go this way. As our children are being dismissed, uh, one quick uh, announcement. Uh, the elders met in the course of this last week, and I'm calling it our first summit meeting, our first session meeting. And uh, I was shot down because the idea and the, the, the prayer came up that we want to be a praying church. And in order to be a praying church, simply not having the elders alone to pray, we're going to start a calendar beginning today where we invite you to sign up for a day of the month. And in the course of the month, when your day comes, you will pray very specifically for at least three things. And we want to have everyone to sign up. But my idea was shot down. My idea was to put everybody who's been attending to put their name on the calendar and I would pray for them. I would pray for them. Such sinners you are. I would just pray until I feel like you merit getting on the first list to really be super spiritual and pray. And they said, you know what? It's really the same list. It's the same calendar. You don't have to be super spiritual to pray. You don't have to be. You have to be a child. You have to be a child. And again, we want to encourage you to sign up and don't worry, Jake and Lynn will work out the calendar if somebody picks the same day. You know, don't worry about being selfish in prayer, okay? They'll work all that out. But the sign-up sheet is in the, the lobby or the foyer. Please turn with me in your Bibles or your programs to Colossians 3 as we continue this morning. I also have uh, Galatians 3 in there. Our focus verse this morning really is one verse, verse 11 of Colossians 3. Give attention to God's word. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Galatians, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Heavenly Father, I do ask, as this is your holy word, that you would help us now to understand. Father, we really do need that kind of help, help that comes from you. Something that we can know as coming from you as a takeaway. Something that we would take so personally that we doubt if anybody else in the room heard this part of your word, but we did. And that by your grace and by your transforming power, we would do it. And we would do it out of fresh reminders of your love and your grace. So, Father, from your word, now speak as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're continuing in our series on Colossians. And Colossians, 
finds Paul out of a prison to a small church plant, very much like our own, now a particularized church, but a small church, and he's writing to them about Christ. And he wants to encourage them and remind them that Christ is bigger than the small box they've put him in. Even this morning, as I read in Colossians 3, it tells us that Christians, those who are now followers of Jesus Christ, are being renewed constantly in knowledge of Him and His grace and His power. We're being constantly renewed in the image of Him who is our Creator. Jesus Christ, our Creator. Well, we learned earlier in Colossians chapter 1 that God found Jesus Christ at His right side there even creating the cosmos in the world. Christ is bigger than we've ever imagined Him to be. Now, in chapter 3, after all of this theology, or we might say knowledge of Christ, Christology, after all this knowledge of who Christ is, he says, now that you know this, and now that you're mindful of his grace, let's talk about what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Let's talk about obedience. And so last week, we turned our attention to the specifics in verse 7 and 8, where it said, Turn away from anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And then this week, he is continuing to tell us what it looks like to be a Christian. What it looks like for somebody to be able to look at us and say, That's what I've imagined Christ to be like. And what he is telling us this week is that as we've been transformed from the old self, to the new self, there's a third step that we're placed in a new community, a new humanity. But he cautions us because our heart is so deceptive that it will lull or woo us into living somewhere in between the old self and the new self ostracized or alienated from the new community. Let me show you in a verse. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 John. 1 John, verse 6. I know, it's one of those real small, just start going to Revelation and then put it in reverse and then you'll come to 1 John. 1 John, first chapter, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Okay, with me? Here he's saying, look, if you say that you're the new person in Jesus Christ, I am now a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, but I'm walking in the old self ways, the old selfish ways, self-centeredness is my thing, then he's saying, you're lying. You're really not the new self. So he's positioning in verse 6 an old self and a new self and the vacillating between the two. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light, light is a synonym for new self, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. In other words, if we walk in the light, if this new self that has been forgiven is really true and authentic, then it will demonstrate itself 
as he says, we have fellowship with one another. In other words, we go from the old self-centered that I love, Phil. I love Phil. To the new self, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. To the new community where we have fellowship with others who say, I love Jesus. You with me? Well, if you are, then that's great because really that's the sermon. So we're five minutes into the sermon. It's already over. So we can just have kind of an Anglican homily and we're out of here. But notice he says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now where does that come from? He's been talking about moving from the old self to the new self in this new community. And now he's ta talking about sin and it's not, in, at least in my ESV English, English Standard Version, it's not a new paragraph. What happens is many times racism, bigotry, self-righteousness and the judgment upon others, divisions, alienation, separation from other people because of my likes and preferences, dislikes, or because of my opinions, because of my false judgment, it creates this individualism of the new self. And that is not the way that we were designed to be. What Paul is saying, back to Colossians, what Paul is saying in these verses is that God, through Christ and the good news of the forgiveness of sin, has made us new, and now Christ is in us. And we respond to God with worship, but we also respond with authentic, loving relationships despite our differences with one another. We love one another because if we're in union with Christ, then we must be in union with those who are in Jesus Christ. John Owen, John Owen was a 17th century English theologian. And he told a story. He said, this is the way that the church and its fellowship is supposed to function. He said, imagine that you go through a forest and you're picking up firewood, sticks and firewood for the evening. And you pick up one stick and it's just very gnarly and old and maybe a little rotten in some places, but you put that in your arm. And then you come along and you see one that is a little on the green side and it's very pliable, but it'll burn, so you put it in your arm as well. And by the end of your time, you've got an arm load of, of various shaped sticks and pieces of wood to various degrees of maturity. They're all very different. And in order to carry the load, you take a bright red ribbon or rope and you wrap it all the way around them to bind them together. And so now they're one unit. And he said, that's what Christ does for the church. And that's how the church is to see its fellowship with one another. We're all very different. Some of you have different languages for your employment. I know that some of you are craftsmen, and so you have this Some of you are engineers, and you have this language. Some of you are educators, and you have different languages. And what God does is when we become Christians, he doesn't just lump all the educators together and all the engineers together, but he brings us, despite all of our diversity, together because of Christ Jesus in us. But note 
what he does. He doesn't say your differences are bad. He doesn't say that your differences are to be obliterated. He said your differences show the diversity of the nations. Your, your differences show the, the color and the, the beauty, the mosaic of God's new humanity, the new community that he is forming for himself in this world for the next. So if you would, I want you to look at your outline. And I'm going to have to skate through this. It's a bigger subject than I initially thought this week when I first started looking at it. But I want you to look at first where the nations begin. If you have your Bible, again, you can go to Genesis chapter 11, and it's the famous story, history, history. It's not myth, but it's the famous story of the Tower of Babel. And if you look at verse 4 out of Genesis 11, it says that the people all came together and they had perfected the art of making bricks for the first time. No longer were they reduced to simply making things out of wood or stones, but now they had bricks that they could go higher, as it were, with their walls. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Robert Alter, who is not a Christian, uh, long since deceased, he was a Jewish theologian, wrote a uh, commentary on Genesis. And he says, when he comes to Genesis 11, he says, notice the, the prose. He says, it's as if it is a liter literary hall of mirrors, or, you know, the, the mirrors, if you go to, uh, like, the, the house of mirrors, if you go to a circus or to a, a fair, how you look at a mirror, you look in, and it shows you something different than you really are. He was saying, this is a literary hall of mirrors because you find that the people say, unless we, lest we get dispersed, let's build a name for ourselves and raise this tower as high into the heavens as we can. He says that when they say, let us raise it high, then God says, the reflection is in the heaven, God says, I will come down. And when they say, let us make a name for ourselves, then God says, unless they forget me, then I'm going to separate them. They say, listen, let's do this together, and let's build this tower together, and let's make our name together, so we'll finally have this sense of togetherness. And God says, I will, not, I will no longer allow you to be together. I'm going to disperse you. Some of your Bibles, I think, have a better word for dispersing, and it's scattered afar. Scattered afar. Lest we be scattered, let's build a tower and put our name on it. Now you may think, eh, you know, crazy people, they didn't have anything better than, than that to do. I mean, it was like this pre-Lego days, and they just thought, hey, let's build a tower. I mean, what's, what's wrong with building a tower? Here comes God, you know, and he's just like, Huh, sandcastles. <laughs> what was the big deal? The big deal was what they were afraid of. If you look in verse 4, their fear was being scattered from one another. Their fear was a fear of separation. Their fear was a sense of we fear.
fear a lack of belonging. Right now, we, we like it, the belonging that we feel together, but we're afraid that one, one day we'll all be scattered apart, and I won't be a part of the team. I won't be a part of the club. I won't be in the clique. I, I, nobody will know my name, but right now, everybody knows my name. They know that I'm a part of this group or a part of this club or a part of this college or a part of this theology. They know that. C.S. Lewis helped me on this, writing in his, his wonderful book called The Weight of Glory. And he describes what that weight is. There's a burden that we all bear. And I'm only going to read you a small quote. Apparently then, the door on which we have been knocking on all of our life that we desire entry in will one day be opened. Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of that door, which we have always seen from the outside, it is no mere neurotic fantasy. It is the truest index of our real situation. And it is to be at last Summoned in, we're to be at last summoned inside the door and that will be both glory and honor beyond all merits and also the healing of that old ache. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is this ache. There is this longing to belong, to be a part of something bigger than my small self. And C.S. Lewis says it's like this cosmic, innate separation that we feel with the heavens. We feel separated from God. We feel alienated from God. And many times we feel alone. But thanks be to God, he has healed the fear of the Tower of Babel. It began there. From that moment on, he disperses them but they will come back together in the person of Jesus Christ as the nations. He won't obliterate their distinctives, but he will satisfy their fear and their feelings of alienation. Now, what in the world does that have to do with verse 11 this morning that Paul is talking about? Paul is saying that there's only one community. It's a new humanity. It's a new, not simply nation, but it's a new worldwide community made up of many in the nations. And their distinctive is that they no longer find their feelings of alienation and separation satisfied in simply their nation. They find it in Jesus Christ so that they can be their nation but they can also find that they're not separated from one another. They're together even with the other nations. And here's how it works. If you imagine that everybody this morning is from a different country, we're going to have patriotism and we're going to have some sense of nationalism. We're going to feel like our food and our music and our culture is the best. And we're going to have a tendency, because of our fear of alienation, if we're not a Christian, we're going to have a tendency to think, wow, I am somebody as long as I'm a Frenchman. So I don't want to be American. You Americans do it like this, you know. You, you eat this for breakfast. We don't eat that for breakfast. We have this. 
And it's going to be more and more important that I have my national distinctives because that's what makes me feel like I belong. Now, Christ comes into my life. And I can still belong in my nation, but I don't have to fight about it. I don't have to be racist about it. I don't have to be judgmental toward other nations anymore. I can welcome them because of the common bond in Jesus Christ. In other words, the beginning of all nations was first with this great dispersal with the people that wanted to make their name for themselves. The new nations began when God brings us all together under one name, Jesus Christ, but he doesn't destroy our national distinctives. Okay? And that's a big philosophical thought because what it is saying is there's no room for bigotry, there's no room for racism, there's no room for separatism, there's no room for even individualism. He does this most specifically in the microcosm called a church. Before I leave this point, let me just ask this. Do you struggle? We all have it. We all have what I'm getting ready to say. But do you really struggle with feelings of superior judgmental attitudes toward other people? Do you think that the college that you attended makes you better than anybody else in this room? Do you think that your master's or your doctorate makes you better than the person who's working now on their GED? Do you feel that the home or the community that you live in makes you a little bit better? In other words, God is blessing you and has blessed you, but not them. Do you not realize that that is all by God's grace and design? The reason you weren't born in Tibet wasn't because you chose America to be born in. It was by God's sovereign design. It's all His grace and it's all of His mercy. You didn't simply, I know you worked hard to get your doctorate, but it was by God's leading and His provision and His design. It was all His grace. We're not better than anyone else because, but we're all equal. All men indeed are created equal and made equal now, not separated because of Jesus Christ. Now, let me define nations for you because we typically define nations, I think, a little too broadly. And when, my, when I end in just a moment, I'm going to challenge you. Are you loving the nations? Are you caught, does, does verse 11 cry out to you to break down the barriers? Are you still living in that world that basically says, look, I used to not be a Christian, and now I'm a Christian, but I'm not over here experiencing all the challenges and the joys of the new community. I'm here right now. In other words, I, I'm not there. I like it when it's not messy, but I don't want messy. I like, I've just kind of got my Christian thing going on here. Well, God is not satisfied with that, and there's even a question as to whether or not you're a Christian. There's a question. If you're living in isolation of community, there's a question as to whether or not you're a Christian. How can I say that? Look at Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 39. Jesus says this. He was asked by a teacher of the law in Matthew 22, what is the greatest commandment? And he said to answer that, there's two commands. There's two wings of an airplane. It's a two-part answer, really making one whole. He said the first is to love God. 
That's the new self, worshiping God. Verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, I've got to love, I've got to love my neighbor. Now, who is my neighbor? Who are the nations? It tells us in Matthew 28, it's called the Great Commission, that we as Christians, not just your elders, not just our missionaries, not just the pastors, not just super spiritual Christians, all of us as Christians are given the Great Commission, that we are to make disciples. We're to, make, we're to share the good news with others. The, the neighbor may be as close as our employee or employer. It may be as close as our classmate who sits near to us or the professor up front. It may be certainly our, it may be someone in our family. It may be Uncle Harry. It may be the next door neighbor. It may be the garbage man or in my case the garbage woman who, who delivers, uh, who doesn't deliver garbage to my house, but who takes up the garbage from my house. We've got this special deal and this special arrangement. Yeah. She picks up choice things and drops them off at my house. We kind of trade. But the, the na- he says in Matthew 28, he tells the disciples, he says, go forth and minister and make disciples and teach them in my name the nations. Who are the nations? Well, I was influenced by uh, Jack Miller, who was a mentor of mine. And he went to, um, when he was... Uh, going, he went to a Fuller uh, Theological Seminary to get his Ph.D., and as he was working on that, he drew aside Dr. McGavern. And Dr. McGavern was, he was a missiologist. All he studied was how the Great Commission can go from this overseas and to the world. And so Jack came to him and he said, listen, given my personality, my temperament, and my background, denominational background, Presbyterian, because McGavin was not Presbyterian. He said, given my denominational background and my temperament, what is this going to look like, this taking, as it were, the good news to the nations? He said this. He said, I will tell you, as he looked me in the eye, I will tell you that as a rule, people in your group and your denomination are troubled with tendencies toward elitism elitism. Dr. McGavern also said that my people did not seem to have very much practical confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit. And lacking that confidence that Christ was in us, lacking the confidence of Christ's presence with me, we tended, therefore, to be timid. And he goes on and he says, because of that we tend to divide people culturally into the washed and the unwashed. And my group always went after the washed. Jack Miller says this, I accepted Dr. McGavern's kindly rebuke as the gift of a wise man. It was eventually to change me so that I saw the harvest lead me to approach a whole different process of discipling. The standpoint was that of an expectant hope for the salvation of all kinds of people, washed and unwashed, that God might be glorified by the changes wrought by the Spirit's sanctifying power. 
If you look in Acts 2.39, and I don't have the time to go here now, and similarly in Isaiah 49, verse 1, you'll see that the distinctive, one distinctive of the nation is that it's a people who are scattered. It's a people who are afar. So in the beginning at the Tower of Babel, the people, the nations began because it were a scattered, separated people. Separated from God and separated from one another. But now the Great Commission says, go and reach those nations. Go and draw them from afar, it says in Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts. He says, this message and this good news is for us, but it's also for those people afar. And in Isaiah 49.1, it's a servant of the Lord passage. The servant of the Lord says, Hear this, O coastlands, and hear this, O people from afar. In other words, God's salvific design is not simply, if I could just break us of one thing this morning, it is not simply to move me from the old selfish self to the new Christ-centered self. That is not God's design. It's not. In fact, that's heresy. If you say that is solely God's design, then I'm going to challenge you. Because in the Western mindset, we tend to think about conversion as an individual thing. The Eastern mindset, the Eastern mindset is salvation is for the people. It's for tribes. It's for cultures. God would bring whole nations to him. God is not satisfied thereby when we move from the old self-centeredness and its sense of self-righteousness to individualism. Christ is my center, but I'm not going there. It is his design, now that he has saved us, not for individualism, but for community, that we would now, in this new community, be one who was afar, who is now near. And the bind is Christ himself is in us, in the union I have with him. Now, what do I do when I look to those people that are afar? I invite them, no matter the culture, no matter the lifestyle, I invite them who are far off, that's the only distinctive, I invite them to come and be a part of the new community that I'm in. If you're simply the new self, you'll never do that. See, you're trying to protect yourself from both. It's all you can do to not go the old way, but you definitely don't want to be drawn in the intimacy of community, the messy relationships, and the new humanity. What are you talking about messiness? I love community. Two rivers, that's the two rivers. The two rivers are one river is love God, the other river is love one another. I love community. I'm all about community. Look at the laundry list. Look at the laundry list that he gives us in verse 11. What is he talking about there in verse 11 of Colossians 3 when he says, Greek or Jew? He is talking about there... The Greeks, everybody who was Greek, believed that their language and their race and their philosophy and their religion and their culture was superior, bar none. That if you could not speak Greek, then you were an ignoramus. Now the Jews, they believed themselves to be the chosen children of Israel so they felt superior to the Greeks who were the newcoming Gentiles to the faith. 
And so you have a Greek and you Jew, and they've got two different philosophies. They're struggling with one another. And then you have the, the, the circumcised and uncircumcised. I've preached at infinitum about that. Barbarian and Scythian, slave and free. A barbarian was someone that the original term barbarian, it was given to them by the Greeks because they would, they would listen to the barbarians talk to one another, a very uncouth people. And they, it sounded to the Greek ear like this, bar, 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 bar. And so they said barbarians, which by the way, say this, the word is H-O-L-L-O-W. H-O-L-L-O-W. What's that, right? What did you say? You said hollow? Ah, oh, come on. All right, who said holler? Well, I'm from, it's hollow, you know. I know that, you know, it's not a hollow. Let's go to the hollow. You know, if you're doing bluegrass, I'm telling you, if you're doing bluegrass music, folk music, it's not, he went up to the hollow. I mean, that's not bluegrass. It's got to be, you know, in the fields, and the hollers. Well, which one's more intelligent? We tend to think that the one that says hollow is more intelligent. They're superior, aren't they, in thought and culture. By the one saying, hey, I just got in from a holler, you know, that they're obviously uncouth and inferior and stupid. And Paul says, uh-uh. That is going to separate you from community because of that superior attitude. It's another idol. It's another form of self-righteousness. You feel good about yourself because you judge them. At least I'm better than them. At least I'm not ignorant. And he's saying that's keeping you from community. You should be humble to know that when Christ looks at you, he sees no difference. And guess what? It went down to even the next group. He said barbarian and Scythian. The Scythians were the, bar the barbarians' barbarians. It was like two homeless people looking at each other and saying, at least I'm not like that homeless guy. You know, look at where I sleep. My little bridge house is a lot better than your little alley house. <laughs> Paul is shaking his head. He's saying, don't you understand? We're a part of a new humanity that no longer judges one another like this. And oh, if I could take you to James, James would just, as old boy would say, he'd whip us long ways. Because he says... I move you from the old self to the new self to the new community, the new humanity. And it's all by my grace. I was taught, I was taught by Jack Miller that in evangelism and witnessing that I was always to include three groups in my preaching and three groups in my witnessing and my evangelism. He said, the down and out. And he said, everybody agrees with witnessing to the down and out. But he says very few people win them because they don't have a relationship with them. They don't take the down and out into their home. The down and out may get up far enough that they can get a car and they can clean your home, but they don't eat at your table. They may work for you, but they may not work alongside of you. And it's not because of lack of one on their part. He said, secondly... The way out. Now with this, he was talking about those that mentally or emotionally have struggles. Those that might be scandalous if we minister to them. Those that might be get us dirty. I mean, relationships are messy things. That we just tend to pick and choose the community that I want to live in. 
But he said the way out are in there, and they're in there in Christ. And then one of the most difficult, difficult to minister to, the up and out. And if you're, if you're a middle class, even the upper middle class, many times we fail, we fail because of a different judgmental attitude to minister to the up and out. My friend told me, he said, here's the test. You can go to a cocktail party or you can go to a, a party, a get-together, a gathering that is going to have people of different social strata there. The up and out, those that are very prosperous but do not know Christ, and even maybe the down and out to the sense of people that are definitely you know, poverty compared to these and that you're comfortable speaking to both, that you judge neither. You're comfortable speaking to both because your security is not found by judging that person, but it's your security is in Christ. Now, how many people in Phil Stogner's life are down and out? How many of them are way out? And how many of them are up and out? In other words, can I, do I find myself in a community that is including both the Greek, the slave, the master, you know, the employee, the employer, the Roman, male, female, do I, do I find myself being able to cut across all stratas because of the bind, the bond that I have in Jesus Christ that I'm a part of a new community? Or am I still conforming to the old laws, the old social standards of community? Okay. Now I've got to end. And as I end, I want to end at this table. We came to Jesus Christ from afar. We indeed were found by Christ as we were a dispersed and scattered people. And we felt that alienation from God. We felt separated from God. But the end of all the nations is this. It ends at His throne. At His throne is not just one white, Anglo-American, male, prosperous people, but the nations... The nations are around his throne. And around that throne are some that were formerly slaves and some that were formerly masters. But those differences do not make any difference at all to him because they all were scattered. They all were afar. And because of what Jesus Christ did, he brought those that were scattered to come together in a new community over him. How was that possible? Because on the night that he was betrayed, he became scattered. He became a people. He became a person. He became a representative who was totally alienated from God. His body was broken. But his body was broken in our place. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant, the new promise of my blood. It represents the forgiveness of sin. All those things that alienated you and separated you from God was washed away. It was washed away by my blood. And so we are a people who when we eat this bread and we drink this cup and we observe his death on our behalf, we're a people that are scattered no more. That everybody, and I love it that we take both from common cups and and we come forward to this table. Imagine a great table for a feast that we're all eating together here. 
And we are still a diverse people, but we can be even more diverse. Remember that everybody, everybody that you come in contact with, they struggle even yet with their own sin, and many, many would come to know the Savior if that you would include them in your community, if you would but show them the way. Invite them into your life. Invite them into your world. Invite them to know your church. Invite them into the new community. Invite them even as you were invited and drawn as if with cords of love from afar by Jesus Christ. And we remember that when we celebrate this table. And we remember it and then we go and we do. You'll find the liturgy printed in your program. Let us now proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. I want to invite our elders to come forward.